This evening's scripture is found in Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Cradle, cross, and grave. Our God, he, he 
Thank you, guys. I appreciate appreciate you so much. Well, welcome to our first uh, Christmas Eve at the barn, and we just appreciate uh, you being here for the next few moments before we close. I've been thinking about this song over the last several weeks, Prepare Him Room, and I want to draw uh, our attention for the next few minutes uh, related to this subject. And uh, before we get there, I just want to introduce uh, myself if I haven't had a chance to meet you. I'm Pastor Zach, and we uh, just very much appreciate you being here. If you're a first-time guest today, welcome. And uh, this is just as much your home as it is our home. Uh, but we do as well appreciate Rob and Wendy. Uh, are you guys here? This is actually their home. And so we appreciate you guys opening up your uh, property and facility uh, to us this year. Thank you. Billy Graham once said, that Christmas is not a myth, nor a tradition, not a dream, but a glorious reality. You'll see on the screen behind me or the wall today, Luke chapter 2. It says, while they, so Mary and Joseph, were there in Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no room, say no room. There was no room for them in the end. Now it's church, so let's just be honest. How many of you guys, you're ready to leave? Ready to go home, ready to relax with family, friends? How many of you kids, you're hungry? Your parents put in the food before you left tonight. And you know, it's Christmas season and we're ready to Go home, gifts are wrapped, trees decorated, and it's time to just sit back and take a few days off and to relax. And the reality is the weeks coming up to Christmas, if we're real honest with one another, I think we could say that our lives are just as busy and crazy and hectic as Bethlehem itself. And you need to think about this for a moment because Joseph and Mary, they they had just sat out on this long, arduous journey south to Bethlehem. And we only have one single passage of Scripture that references that journey. It says, And Joseph went from Galilee out to the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And we see as we study this journey that Mary and Joseph would have taken one of two particular routes, but either one of these two routes are approximately 92 miles long. So you thought it was a little bit of a drive driving out here from State College, but how's a 92-mile walk with a pregnant wife feeling right now? So they say that normal walking pace with a camel, a donkey, or another animal is approximately three miles per hour. So travelers would walk 17 to 20 or so miles each day. We, it's safe to assume that this was a four to five day journey. It's interesting to me that the Bible is silent on where they stayed each night, to whom they camped with, and what this tiring journey looked like, especially for a woman that was several months pregnant. Throw on top of it all that it was the early spring so that the, we can assume that the hills and the countrysides were chilly at night. Mary and Joseph get to the last leg of their journey, and it's the hardest part of the whole experience. Jericho 
is one of the lowest cities uh, elevation-wise. It's, it's 800 feet or so below sea level. And they say that the last day was 800 below sea level up to the city of, of Bethlehem, up to the town of Bethlehem. That was, the elevation was 2,500 feet. So the last leg of this journey was a long, difficult climb. And so Mary and Joseph come to the city of, of Bethlehem, and they're, they're exhausted. I'm sure Joseph is tired, wanting to find the perfect place for Mary to rest. Now, I don't mean to ruin your perfect, beautiful picture of Christmas, but let's be real. When the Bible says that they come to an inn, it is certainly not the day's inn of Bethlehem, okay? It's not the type of inn that you and I would, would think. In fact, we see that it's not an inn at all. We see in, in the Good Samaritan in a story in Luke chapter 2 where the Good Samaritan picks up that man and he takes him to the local inn in Luke chapter 10, that that word in the original language would define what you and I would say as a familiar quote-unquote inn. We see a far different word in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 as it's describing Mary and Joseph coming. We see in in the Arabic and and Syriac translations of Luke chapter 2, they never use the word inn. They use the word guest quarters or a guest home. Our Bibles are more reflective of our Western culture, aren't they? So the idea is that Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2, they're tired, they're exhausted. They come to the guest quarters of a home, most likely a family member's home, and there's no Room And so archaeologists and historians, what they say is that Mary and Joseph simply slipped behind the building to the lower level. And, and we are privileged to be in this beautiful barn, but I hate to ruin your Christmas picture of baby Jesus in a manger. Most likely, it was the lower level of the bottom of a home, more like a cave. The animals would come in and they would eat and they would find a manger there, which is why we read in verse 7 that she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. Here's what I want you to think for a minute. Why is the Bible silent on this exhaustive five-day journey, and yet it specifically references that they come to the city or the town and there's no room in the inn? Perhaps could it be that the Bible is describing an age-old problem that there's still severe overcrowding, and that many people today still refuse to make room in their lives for Jesus. The truth of the matter is there are people that are here today. There are people that are gathered across our region in churches. They're sitting in benches, pews, chairs, perhaps on a floor. And on the outside, they're smiling. They're taking in the beautiful setting. They're taking in the lights, the music. And yet the reality is the door of their heart is just as closed as the guest quarters of the door that Mary and Joseph came to. And as we gather this Christmas Eve, I want to say to you this. What good is God invading the earth, strapping on human flesh, giving up the divine privileges to come to this earth, live a sinless life, sacrifice his life for you and for me to stand at the door of our heart, and for us to simply not welcome him, to not welcome the sacrifice that he paid forward on our behalf. Could you imagine for a minute, those of you that are teenagers, every teenager's dream 
Christmas gift would be a brand new vehicle from a parent, right? And every parent's worst gift, right, <laughs> is buying a brand new vehicle. Could you imagine the, the teenager that gets out of bed tomorrow morning and they come downstairs and they look out the window and there's this brand spanking new sports car. It's got the big red bow on it. Mom and dad are sitting in the living room just smiling in debt to their ears, but they're happy to see that smile on the kid's face. And, and they say, this is, this is the perfect gift that we found for you this Christmas. And they reach out and they hold that brand new wireless key that the bank is paying for. And all you have to do is simply step up, step forward, and to receive that amazing gift. How ridiculous would it be for the teenager to sit back in the corner, sit back on the couch, unwilling to step forward and to receive the key that would unlock the most amazing gift in the heart and mind of every teenager? I mean, who would do that? That's absolutely ridiculous. I think that pales in comparison to those people that will sit in churches all around our nation today. They'll take in the music. They'll take in the moments. They'll walk out. They'll smile. They'll have kind of the Christmas spirit in their eyes. And yet they're still unwilling to prepare their life for Jesus to enter. How could that possibly happen? I think there are three potential reasons why, and I want to share with you those among many others that you can ponder. Maybe it's fear. You know, there are a lot of people that fear says, I can't trust. Trust what? Trust that God is good. Trust that he'll never leave you or forsake you. I want to dispel that lie because James chapter 1 verse 17 says otherwise. It says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. You can trust God. You can trust him for sure. The Bible promises that he'll never leave you or forsake you. John chapter 3, verse 16 so says that for God so loved the world that he gave his son to you and to me. He promised this gift to us, and you can trust that. This room is filled with hundreds, if not thousands of stories of a loving God who has transformed our lives and has been faithful to us over the years. But there are many that will walk out of churches and say, I simply can't trust that God. It's fear. Secondly, maybe it's pride. Unlike fear that says, I can't trust, pride says, I have it all together. I've kind of put together the puzzle, the perfect picture of the American dream. I've kind of made a life for myself. And at the end of the day, Zach, I've got this whole thing figured out. My life is like a scale. And on one end of the scale is the sin in my life. It's the consequences for my life. It's the bad decisions and choices that I've made. And I've been there just like you. But pride says, Zach, on the other side of the scale, I figured this thing out. And, and if I do enough good things, if I go to church on Christmas, if I go to church on Easter, if I'm faithful to my spouse, if I'm committed in that relationship, if I do enough things, if I'm charitable and so forth, at the end of the day, love wins and the scale will tip on the side of my favor. And at the end of the day, it will all win. Pride says, I've got it together. I've figured it out. And I will make it work. And the truth of the matter is this. The same prophet, Isaiah, 
that said 700 years before Jesus was born, he said that he would be born of a virgin. He said that he would be referred to as Emmanuel or God among us or God with us. That same prophet said this in chapter 64, verse 6. He said, all of us have become like the one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins are swept away. The prophet Isaiah simply put it this way. He said, at the end of the day, righteous living, right standing, trying to do things outside of Jesus, good things, charitable things, things that you and I would say are godly, even our best attempts of righteous living outside of relationship with God fall so miserably embarrassingly short that the prophet Isaiah said it's the equivalent of picking up a rag in your basement tomorrow going up to your kitchen and cleaning the eggnog off the floor that your child spilled and you would take and you would dispose that rag into the trash he says pride says I've got it all together I can live for God and do the right thing outside of relationship with Jesus and at the end of the day it simply doesn't work and the good news that we celebrate of Christmas today is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that said God made him, referring to Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him you and I might become the righteousness of God. There is nothing that you and I can do in and of our own strength to clean ourselves up, to present our lives to a good, righteous and holy God outside of relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's not fear that says I can't trust, or pride that says I've got it all together, but perhaps it's disbelief that says God doesn't really care about me. Maybe you're here today, and as you came and you saw the beautiful full moon and the wonderful stars in the sky, and you looked up in the heavens, and you do believe that there is a God But it's beyond your human comprehension to sit in this room and say that he personally knows you by name. Maybe you believe in a God, but a Savior, a Lord, someone that you would surrender your life to is something that you have a very difficult time believing. That there's a God that is intricately concerned and cares so much about even the smallest details of your life. And yet the book of Luke chapter 12, speaking the birds of the air, says this, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I personally believe that there is not one accident. There is not one illegitimate child on the face of this earth every one of us is loved known created by God and in his image and as we celebrate Christmas today we're celebrating that God desired relationship with you to such a degree that he would give his very best so that you and I could be restored back to him and the reality is this revelation chapter 3 verse 20 The Bible says this, here I am, I stand at the door, speaking of our lives, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice 
and opens the door. I will come and eat with that person and they with me. I love the way that Revelation puts it. This idea that he stands at the door or the entrance place of our home, our lives. And the Bible is not saying that he's waiting for you to clean it up, to get your life in order so that you can present yourself to God. But the idea is that you open the door, that you welcome him in. And then it simply says he sits down and he'll eat with that person and they with me. It's the idea that you and I can have personal fellowship with God who knows you so very much. Would you close your eyes this evening? Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth, that you lived the life that we could never possibly live. You died the death that really we deserve. And that you were raised to new life so that through you, we can experience the fullness of life that only comes through personal relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here today. And as wonderful and as amazing as the Christmas season is, when you push aside all of those fringe things, push aside the Christmas spirit, push aside the gifts, push aside even wonderful Christmas Eve services like this. At the end of the day, what's left? Because the truth is, for me and for so many in this room, front and center is the relationship that we have with Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never admitted that you're a sinner. You've never admitted that you needed the solution to that sin, which is the Savior that we celebrate today. And it's not that he promises a life that's free from pain and difficulties and challenges. I have two feet on the ground just like everyone else that's in this room today. We walk through difficult seasons and space in life, but the reality is that when Jesus is with you, he carries you through those times. His joy is your strength. His presence is with you. And maybe you're here today and you want to commit your life to him for the very, very first time. Maybe you're also here. And at one point you had a relationship with Jesus. There was a time that you would sit in a Christian service and in your heart you felt like was connected to God but for whatever reason you feel like you've drifted off kind of the path and you feel like you need to just kind of make Jesus a priority front and center of your life and you want to do that today I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand with every eye that's closed we're not going to ask you to do anything odd or weird today but if that's you we just want to pray for you today as you just raise your hand as you're in this room, we're going to pray together. We'll, we'll do it as a group. As you pray with me, dear Jesus, I come before you and I confess that I'm a sinner. That Jesus, I believe that you came to this world, died on a cross, and were raised to new life on my behalf. I pray that you forgive my sins. And I ask you to be the, my Lord 
my Savior, my very best friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we close tonight, I want to share with you, it'll be on the screen. As you leave today, our ushers are going to be giving out two things. Number one is a card that says imitate. It says that following Jesus is not an event, but it's a lifestyle. That your relationship with Jesus must be more than a Christmas Eve service, an Easter service. But it's a daily walk because it's an authentic relationship. And as a church at Access Church beginning in January 3rd, we're going to be talking about this for the next several weeks. And so as you leave today, you'll get a card. And we'd love to just see you back at Mount Nittany Middle School. You'd be our guest and you'd feel right at home. You'll receive a card as you leave as well as the kids are going to receive popcorn balls to mom and dad. Get out your little shop vac when you get home. Let It's just Christmas. Come on, just have fun. Just enjoy the moment. Don't trash the barn here. Trash your vehicle. You'll have... But we love you guys. We just appreciate you being here today. So they'll, they'll hand you this. This is not like a ticket you need to get in church. Feel free. Just come whenever you want. We'd love to see you back. And you're our guest tonight. We'd love to have you as a guest in one of our services coming up. Would, would you stand together today? And we're going to close as we celebrate. I've been in a lot of Christmas Eve services over the years. And for me, I, I think Christmas is the time to celebrate. It's not a time that's dreary where we're kind of sitting in the corner huddling. But the truth is that Jesus is alive, that he died for you, that he loves you so much and will be returning someday. We believe that he's the one and the only hope of the world. God bless you for being here. We're going to close in a song, and then we'll pray a prayer of dismissal in just a minute.